the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. We have a big event coming up Thursday, the day after Valentine's Day, February 15th, 2024, 6.30 to 8.30. It's the 7 Steps for Retirement Readiness, featuring CFP Chad Burton. I'll be there a few hours early, setting up and uh, grabbing a bite to eat. It's a long day, long drive for me. Um, but if you want to talk markets, we can talk markets before the event. But the event's really for the seven steps for retirement readiness, uh, 6.30 to 8.30. Uh, it's going to cover big, big picture events like taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investing, life goals, health and wellness. I think this event is more important than ever as 2021, 2022, 2023 presented new challenges to investors in retirement, um, including poor returns on bonds, poor return on stocks and high inflation um, <clears throat> that can be persistent. It can be persistent for three, four, five, six years as it was in the 1970s. Don't think that it automatically goes away. Join me today. Oh, and you can sign up for the event at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com or chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Joining me today, CFP Chad Burton. Chad, let's talk about the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, um, some of the tech funds that are out there, like the XLK. Um, what are your thoughts when approaching those? Because they're very popular ways to invest and have had pretty sensational uh, returns, both on the upside and on the downside in recent years. Well, yeah, and it's the, I mean, the S&P 500, for example, which is obviously one of the most widely held positions in people's 401ks and index funds and things like that. And there's so many different versions of it, whether it's S&P 500 index funds from Vanguard or Fidelity or, or whoever it may be, but there's also... I mean, if you want ETFs where you can buy it, you know, in a brokerage account, trades all day like a stock, you have SPY, IVV, VOO. There's all sorts of different ways to invest into the S&P 500. And I think the term 500, people think, okay, it's, it's 500 stocks. I'm really well diversified, but it's a market cap weighted index. And good or bad, it's the most concentrated I've seen it in the 30 years that I've been doing this. Um, it, it's it's really quite interesting. And the way that the S&P 500 works is it's market cap weighted. So more money when you invest in the S&P 500 goes into the largest companies in America. Well, what's made people more productive um, and has been more disruptive in terms of, hey, where's the revenue going has been technology. So when we look at the S&P 500, and the reason why I bring this up, Rob, is because you know, obviously with a lot of 
listeners and clients in the Bay Area, stocks like Microsoft, Apple, Nvidia, Amazon, Meta, Google, you know, those are all widely held positions. Tesla, Broadcom. Um, so people hold these positions individually and then they invest in the S&P 500. And, you know, that, that's fine to have more concentrated exposure when you're younger. But as you get into retirement and you're starting to withdraw money out of your portfolio, you need to come up with a plan to smooth out returns, to lower volatility, lower overall risk, because you're no longer adding to those investments. You're starting to draw from them. So I think people are now struggling with that idea of how do I go from growth and S&P 500 investing to slowly transitioning over, say, a 10-year period to a more balanced portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. And and so some people will be selling. It's interesting. I, you know, some people think, okay, I'm going to sell my Apple or my NVIDIA RSUs and I'm going to turn around and buy the S&P 500. Well, if you look at the S&P 500... The top holdings, um, 7.4% Microsoft, 6.54% Apple, uh, 4.22% NVIDIA, 3.76% Amazon. Um, so you're, you're, you're getting kind of back into the same positions all correlated than ever before, or more correlated than ever before. If we look at the QQQ, which is the NASDAQ ETF, Mm-hmm. It's 9% Microsoft, 8.47% wow. Apple, 5% Amazon, 5.14% NVIDIA, 4.76% Meta, uh, 4.46% Broadcom. Um, so it, it's really important for people to recognize, okay, if I'm, if I'm starting to be too concentrated in my company's stock or into a specific large cap growth sector... How do I diversify? Should I be selling my RSUs as they vest because they're taxable anyways? And, and then should I, what should I invest in? And so you have to recognize what you already own and what you should be adding to. Um, another popular ETF that people buy, Rob, um, to get into the technology sector is XLK, the Technology Select Spider ETF. Yep. And that's 23% Microsoft, 19% <laughs> Apple, 6% NVIDIA, 5.47% Broadcom. So um, people are owning those stocks individually and then they're adding the, these three positions are pretty common. So they get overweight and they don't realize it's just large cap growth, which by the way, has been probably the best place to be in the last 10 years. But it's been uh, you know, one of those big, longest 10-year performance, outperformance. Um, and gosh, let's, let's just go back in, and that jumps in time. People, that jumps people back to 2000, 2002, Chad, where large cap growth underperformed massively. But that was a different story because there was like thousands of IPOs at that point in time. And now there's not. And there was companies that weren't earning money. And now they are earning money. A lot of, yeah. a lot of trade-offs, right? It is. And, and back then, you know, you and I were like, what is happening right now? Because there's, there's companies that were going to the moon with no revenues. And we... You know, did a pretty good job at sticking to our guns and not getting sucked into that whole mess. Um, and you know, this AI is obviously disruptive. Everybody's waiting for what's Apple going to do to kind of boost revenue in that area, for example, because it's not like the revenue has been great year over year. Um, it's coming. It's coming uh, this summer, June. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was listening to uh, Dan Niles on on that front this morning, but anyway. It's it's still a matter of it, it doesn't matter as much as you're 30, 40, 50, but as you transition to that age of retirement of 65 and you just look at if if you would have owned a value ETF from January 1st to the end of 2023, 
you would have actually outperformed um, a growth ETF with all of this stuff in it, even though 2023, it had a huge year. You actually should have owned both and it would have smoothed out your returns. It would have dampened the downside and it would have still participated in the, in the majority of the upside. That's right. Um, but it's just recognizing what the S&P 500 is and, and then recognizing, you know, what do you own too much of? What should you be buying? Should be there should be there's some large cap value in your life, some small cap, uh, mid cap, and we can talk about active versus passive today if we want to. But the S and P 500 sector weightings are information technology, healthcare, financials, consumer discretionary, consumer services, industrials, consumer staples, energies, One. utilities, materials, and real estate. And right now, if we look at the top ten holdings in the S and P 500, um. It's 80% technology. It's the most concentrated the top 10's holdings have been, I believe, in, in the last 50 years, the S P 500. Um, so it just it's just something to recognize. As you say, I'm going to diversify so I can deal with the sequence of 30. return risk in retirement. What should you be selling and what you should, should be buying? We've got a good show for you today, the 4% rule. It- active versus passive approaches to investing and much, much more. Think you're in good shape for retirement? Find out how you're really doing with the seven steps for retirement readiness. Join Rob Black and CFP Chad Burton of EP Wealth Advisors Thursday, February 15th in Menlo Park for a live event. Chad will walk you through these seven steps to find out whether you are really ready for the retirement you want. Rob will provide timely commentary and Chad will share specific strategies for taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investing, life goals, and more. If you have at least 500000 in investable assets and want to gauge where your retirement stands, pass on your estate, and create tax efficiencies, this event is for you. The 7 Steps for Retirement Readiness, Thursday, February 15th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Stanford Park Hotel in Menlo Park. Space is limited, so sign up today at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Can you pass all seven tests? Sign up online today at robblackshow.com. So one of the big hot topics recently has been the 4% rule. Is it still relevant? Or is it something that's had its day in the sun? Another one is active versus passive management. And these approaches can create a lot of variables on your return and variables to digest on risk versus um, appropriateness of you know your portfolio. I, I see it on a regular basis. CFP Chad Burton sees it on a regular basis. Even myself, as I'm approaching retirement, um, I look at the four percent rule and I go, "I wonder if that's for me." And I have to defer to CFP Chad Burton. Chad, let's talk about the four percent rule, and then maybe we'll switch into active versus passive investing after that. Sure. Thoughts? Yeah. So the the four percent rule. I'm, today, uh, I think it was today or yesterday in the Financial Advisor magazine. Um, Paul Samuelson wrote this article. It says the four percent rule: neat, plausible, and wrong. Cool, <laughs> so, I like it. There's always stuff to write stories about on this four percent rule because it's been, you know, is the four percent rule dead or not? That was all last year. Is the sixty forty dead or not? Um, yeah. Now bonds return to you know pretty attractive rates, especially to after inflation numbers recently. Um, the the issue is is that it's never a rule to live by. It's just kind of a rule to say, am I even close to being able to live off of my assets? And the idea is that you say, okay, if I add up my entire, all of my accounts together, 
and multiply it by 0.04 for 4%, um, is that plus any other sources of income like pension, real estate, social security, is that going to be enough for me to pay my expenses and, and live off of my assets? Now, when you do that, you have to realize that your expenses include your taxes and your healthcare costs, not just keeping the lights on. It also includes miscellaneous things like occasional home maintenance and new car replacement and things like that. So it's really just a basic idea to say, oh man, I, I'm, I'm pretty close. Maybe I better consult a certified financial planner or practitioner that's you know a fiduciary that can really help me make that decision if I should walk in and put in my notice because that's a big step. Um, and in real life, it's smiley face spending. I can't remember who coined that phrase, but when you look at spending patterns in retirement, it's like the a smiley face where in the first several years, you're doing all the stuff you didn't have time to do, whether it's travel or uh, you know, fix up your house, buy a second home, do an RV thing for a while. Um, and then as you age and you get a little bit um, older... Uh, you not only start to eat a little bit less, but you tend to travel a little bit less and things like that. So your spending starts to dip and then into your 80s, your healthcare costs go up and it starts to increase again. So it's never a straight line. I mean, any linear cash flow model is wrong. On a linear cash flow model as part of the seven steps that we talk about, you have to use a conservative rate of return and the proper rates of inflation to see if you're even close to having enough money till age 100. But then after that, you really got to run scenarios. And you know, the, to, to step back for a minute on the 4% rule, the idea is that if you had a, a million dollars and you could live off 4%, it's $40,000 a year. If you invest that million dollars properly in a balanced portfolio, you should be able to draw $40,000 this year. And then next year, $41,200. That's with 3% inflation, right? And every year you can draw a little bit more. And Rob, I can, I can tell you that people just don't do that. In in the you know thirty years that I've been doing this, never is it an automatic three percent increase. It's just not how people live. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you tend agree. to yeah, I mean yeah, it just doesn't happen that way. It's like things might stay level for a year or two, and then you'll notice a need for an increase, and that's okay for a year or two, and then you notice another need for an increase in terms of your systematic withdrawals out of your investment accounts. There's also different phases in life, right? I mean. If you want to retire early before 65, before Medicare kicks in, there's that phase where you're paying for all of your health insurance on your own until Medicare kicks in. Um, There's that phase between retirement and when you take Social Security, which most people seem to be waiting till 70 these days to take Social Security. And then there's another change in spending habits once you turn 73, which is when your required minimum distributions kick in from your retirement accounts. That's the amount you have to take and take out and pay taxes on it. So expenses are just lumpy. I mean, I mean, what can you think of, Rob, between you know, having a new car every once in a while, um, grandkids? Oh, and here, you know, here's one, is home maintenance. This is what catches a lot of people off guard that retire on just Social Security and fixed income. Everything happens in threes, right? It's like you're going to have a water leak, a refrigerator go out, and like your dishwasher break all within the same month, right? It always happens in these in these lumps. And so you have to have a plan for those types of expenses. And, and that's hard to plan for. So what we typically do is we say, okay, what's your home value? Let's put in an expense line item that's 1% a year maintenance cost. And that's not every year. That just It's a lumpy mm-hmm. situation, right? But we just got to put something in there. 
Yeah, it's um, the whole maintenance is something that surprised me as I've gotten older. But you're right, things always tend to happen. Last year was the snow on the roof in the mountains, and it's something that you can never predict as far as what's coming next. Um, with that said, the 4% rule clearly isn't neat and tidy for me, but it, it is kind of a good place to start thinking about, or are you totally pushing that aside and saying, you know, uh, we got to do something a little bit better. Well, yeah, it's just a, it's just a base. And then you got to run okay. the models and you, you got to yeah. run different scenarios. Like, um, a guy came in and he had, you know, he, he had some health issues, so he didn't think he was going to live past age 80. So on his spreadsheet that he had made at home, he assumed that expenses were cut in half at age 80 for, you know, his surviving spouse and that she would have enough money to last till age 100. I'm like, okay, let's think about this. Cause what expenses are actually cut in half at the death of a spouse? Not a lot, right? It's maybe food costs. Yeah, maybe. But other than that, your 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 living expenses mostly stay the same. Um, and you actually have less social security coming in. And and then there's that marriage penalty and when it comes to taxes too. So in some cases, taxes could potentially increase when one spouse passes away and the majority of the expenses are staying intact. So Realistically, in in real life, you're adjusting withdrawals. There's small adjustments every couple of years, and then during rough market cycles, you have to say, okay, you know, if you've set up the three years worth of portfolio draws that I've talked about in the past, plus a balanced portfolio, you're going to be okay to get through those rough cycles. But when the market's down by twenty percent, that doesn't mean you want to cut your expenses by twenty percent because that would be really rough to to change to. So we can talk about how you do that. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcase is always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. There's a new dating app dropping called Score, and it's for people with credit scores of 675 and or higher. It's only going to be for 90 days. You join it by going to joinneon.com. Financial issues are the leading cause of divorce in this country, and it's a big issue for Generation Z. Um, They take pride in financial literacy, unlike other generations. Chad, um, you've got a couple Generation Zs running around your house. Um, how are they approaching financial issues and things like retirement readiness? Uh, well, I mean, all three of them are in the CFP program. Well, but Ava's at U of O, and she's there's not an actual CFP program. But she's in finance, so mm-hmm. um, and they've they've all had TD Ameritrade now Schwab accounts. They've got the Acorns app, um, funding their Roths. And, you know, just teaching them about index funds and that compound savings. It's, you know, it's interesting, Robbie, because it's like so many people wait until their 50s to really start saving. But if they would have right. just saved a small amount starting in their 20s, it would be way ahead of the game. And I love some of these memes that are out there that, um, you know, I'm sure glad I had square dancing and junior high because it really helps during square dancing season. 
It, you know, it's a joke okay. on there's right. no way that you know, there's no preparation for taxes. Nobody knows how to do a tax return anymore, but they took square dancing in school. Uh, so there's just all sorts of issues with our education and lack of financial readiness out there. Um, but, uh, you know, we could go on about that forever. Yeah. I just thought I'd bring it up with Valentine's Day here. So the worst holiday of ever. Um, sequence of returns or passive versus active investment. These are things that you're going to be talking about at the seven test for retirement readiness. Uh, seven steps, excuse me, for retirement readiness in Menlo Park. Um, great hotel. It's the Stanford Park Hotel. It's got easy parking. It's off El Camino, 630, 30 on Thursday. Um, you want to talk active versus passive investing? Or is there anything else you want to hit on that 4% rule? Uh, I think we're given the 4% rule. I mean, it's just a matter of, um, you know, also, well, if we go back to it for a minute, you know, the market is positive over 70% of the time. It's typically a balanced portfolio, like a 60-40 over the last 50 years has been positive, like almost 80% of the time. And so what do you do when the market is negative then, right? If it's, that's the other 20% of the time on that balanced portfolio example, what do you do if the market's down and the average decline is say, you know, down 14%, even though the average annual return is much higher, what do you do when it's down that much? Do you cut your household expenses by 14% that year? I mean, that's terrible, right? I mean, how do you do that? Most people can't. That would mean you're cutting out your entire vacation budget or something like that. I would just, so, hide, the cre- I would just hide the credit card for my spouse. And she, she'll, just, she'll just think she lost it and she'll order a new one and, and there you go. you're done. I'm teasing. I'm kidding. <laughs> I know it wouldn't work. So... um yeah, and it's a matter of like, okay, do I have to cut it? And if you run, if you have a you know living, breathing financial plan, like all of our clients have a website where they can see these cash flow models, you can then see like, oh, if I make a minor adjustment of say one percent on my spending for the next ten years, that's the same thing as one year worth of just cutting a bunch of expenses out. So you can make small adjustments in the financial plan. Or in many cases, you can go through the correction, rerun your cash flow model and say, I'm just fine. I can keep my spending just where it is because I have a plan for this. I had enough cash, I had enough dividends and interest or passive income from my portfolio. That's going to come no matter what. Um, and it was balanced. So I didn't fall as much as the market. And these types of corrections are expected every five to seven years in the plan. So I'm fine. Let's just keep going. Let's keep moving forward. And, and, uh, and we won't have to make massive changes. I've done a little bit of that. I, one of my afternoon treats when I was done work was getting lunch and I replaced it with going to the gym. Now the gym was a $500 investment up front, but way better than a $20 lunch 10 times a year, 10 times, you know, in six months. So anyway, I, I've done it. I figured out a better stress relief for myself and uh, saving money while also doing it. Just like you said, taking out one little thing here and killing cable TV and going to streaming TV. That's another one. There's ways to do it. <laughs> it's funny. It's it's going back to the other direction now. It's like everybody's like, you know, somebody should invest something like cable where you can go to one place and have everything there because everybody has all these different subscriptions. Yeah. Um, I keep seeing that ad. I don't know if you've used it at all or tried it, that rocket money that supposedly, yeah, you know, you're exactly. supposed to be able to identify when you're paying, you know, because half the time when I want to watch something, I'm like, where did I sign up through parent from Paramount? Is that through Apple TV? Is it through yeah. Prime or is it through cable? I can't even remember. So I, I have to assume I've probably got like two Disney subscriptions somewhere. That's right. But I had I had two Disney subscriptions. It was actually two YouTube PVs where my spouse went out of town and she wanted to watch a hockey game. So she signed up, forgot to cancel it. And Rocket Money was able to catch the subscriptions. 
I use Rocket Money. It's three bucks a month if you want to be on the cheap end. They tell you, name your own price, start at $3. I think it's really good at catching double subscriptions, but also showing you subscriptions that you forgot about. Yeah. I just have to take the time to read all the the disclaimers on it. You know, what what are they tracking? What are they doing with the information? That's what I'd want to know. See, I'm okay with that. I got to give up something. And privacy is one of those things I'm willing to give up. (laughs) I guess so. I guess so, right? You know, it is what it is. Well, you mentioned the the active versus passive. And it's so funny because it seems like people, just even financial planning firms, oftentimes try to take the stance that I'm only active or I'm only passive. And I think that's a mistake. I think that both active and passive make sense in a portfolio. Okay. Give me an example. Uh, well, for as an example, if you had uh, the same amount of money in a taxable account um, as you do in, you say, your four hundred one k. So, in a in a taxable account, when you own mutual funds and ETFs, um, and they as they pay dividends and as they make trades, you're paying taxes every single year, right? Mm-hmm. And in a four hundred one k, that's all tax deferred until you take the money out. And so. One approach you could take is say, I want to go take a passive investment approach in my taxable account and own mostly index funds and passive ETFs because they're they're more tax efficient. Um, but in the retirement account, that's where you might be a little bit more active on your approach. Um, th- there's a, a argument to be made where it's it's really hard for active large cap managers to outperform the S&P 500 over time. Especially when you get the most concentrated S and P 500 that we've ever seen, like we just talked about a couple of segments ago, and that happens to be a really good performing sector for a year or two, which is like you know, which is technology. Um, so there, there is a case to be made where a lot of your large cap investing can be passive. Now, I don't like just the S and P 500. I like to have some rules on top of it. So there's a there's a, a form of passive investing called smart beta where you take an index like the S P 500 or the CRISPR index, and you create some rules around it. Maybe it's profitability or uh, you know value, and you still own the majority of the stocks in the index, but you have cut out a certain tier that you might not think are profitable, but you still own the majority of the index. So that's smart beta, and then there's fully active, and where the research shows is where active tends to pay off, is in other asset classes besides large cap. So that could be small cap. It could be mid cap. It could be international, right? Mm -hmm. And I think small cap value is one that's very important right now because I love small cap value. It's one of my favorite asset classes. Historically, over time, it's it's always in one of the top areas of performance. Um, The problem now with a lot of indexes in small cap value is they own a lot of financial stocks, Rob, sometimes 14 to 20%. And a lot of them might be small regional banks, which is going to be the one sector that can get really hit during this commercial loan issue. So I would want a small cap value manager that's avoiding that sector right now. And um, same with international, right? You know, you might want an international or emerging market in, uh, active fund so that they can avoid China because most... ETFs or index funds that are passive will own a lot of China. And right. so that might be something you want to avoid for a while. And really, it's it's the best of both worlds. Like where, where you really want to jump on the a passive bandwagon is after a significant market correction, like 20% or more, when everything is cheap, then go for it. You know, get in and get in as cheap as possible. But um, I really do like prefer right now passive in the small cap, mid cap and international space. Um, 
And, but I, I love it all, right? I, we even have our individual stock portfolio. So it's, uh, I, we kind of like to do a little bit of everything and that helps diversify. And diversification means smoothing out returns and lower volatility over time. And that's what you want in retirement. Um, when you're building wealth and you're 20, 30 years old, just plug as much as you can in index funds because you know the volatility doesn't matter. But once you start drawing your money out, those sequence of return risks make a lot of sense, make a lot of difference, right? You you have to make sure you're dealing with the sequence of return risks. And the idea of active management where it really shines is when it keeps up with the market in the good years, but outperforms in the bad years. That's what I want to look for is the average annual rate of return is extremely misleading. I want the, what is my total return? What's the geometric mean? What's the standard deviation? You know, I want to smooth out my returns because as I show in the event, the seven steps to retirement readiness, I'll show people two different portfolios. One has a lower average annual rate of return over 10 years, but you end up with more money in it um, because it's a game of math and math is kind of what got me into the business. Yeah, I'm surprised at how many individuals want to be active investors, Chad. I got an email mm-hmm. yesterday from a firefighter who he wants to grow his portfolio, but he wants to look at the financials. Wow. And he was asking me, what do I need to do? And I'm like, you need 20 years of experience or you need a CFA. Um, you don't just do it magically and it doesn't just happen. You're not going to be able to dive deep into financials. It takes a lot of work. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. Trends happen and they're important to acknowledge in the world of investing. But let me give you a trend that's happening that you may not be acknowledging. Beyonce's going country, so is the music industry. There has been a 24% year-over-year growth in streaming on country music. I wish I could invest in that. That's pretty hot and pretty sexy and a better above market averages. Rapper Post Malone is debuting a country album later this year as indie pop star Lana Del Rey. 36% of streams on Spotify's top 50 songs were country songs compared to just 2% in 2016. I love spotting trends. One of the things CFP Chad Burton does is he spots trends where people make mistakes in investing. One of the biggest ones or one of the biggest themes and trends you really have to grasp onto is sequence of returns risk. He explains it better than any other CFP that I've ever met. Sequence of returns risk refers to the risk that timing of withdrawals from a retirement account will negatively affect the overall rate of return. And that sounds daunting. Take it from there, Chad. Yeah, the the biggest point of the sequence of returns risk is that look at the year 2022. That was a year where stocks and bonds were down the same time this in the same year. So unless you had a withdrawal strategy that included some safe money, you actually had to sell stocks and bonds at a loss, turning paper losses into real losses. 
right? Mm-hmm. So th- there's a couple of things that happen as you move into retirement. One of them is if you have, especially a taxable account, and you start to need to have income from that account, um, most people are reinvesting their dividends and their funds and ETFs. Well, if you need income, start taking that, send it to your checking account and calculate what you need over and above that between your social security and everything else. How much do you need to pull each year from your portfolio? And you should have three years of that set aside and you can earn 5% on that money now with FDIC insured accounts or, in, you know, T bills for, for that matter, almost that, that much. Um, so the sequence return risk, the biggest one is during significant market decri- declines, you have to have a plan that you don't sell stuff in a down market. Now you should still have your portfolio managed and get rid of things that you shouldn't own anymore, but keep the money invested. Like you might need to sell one stock and buy another. Um, but it, the idea of withdrawing on the way down and then withdrawing all the way up, it means your recovery time is going to be way longer than if somebody else had some cash on the sidelines and a plan of action to deal with these down markets. And so during the event, I show a situation where somebody retires in the eighties and they take that 4% and they just blindly withdraw a certain amount every year and they're fine. But if we flip those returns in reverse order, same exact average annual rate of return over the time period, but the order of returns was completely backwards and they were out of money in in 32 years and, and still had some life left in them. So a lot of people will move into retirement. They have a really large, nice portfolio. They think everything's just going to be fine. And they're like, oh, once I retire, I'll diversify, become more conservative. And the first several years of retirement are very busy and they don't get around to it. And then they finally think about it after the market correction when the damage is already done. The market is going to take really good care of us over time, Rob, right? I have no reason to believe that over the next 30 plus years in your retirement, that the S&P 500 will still average 10, 11%, somewhere around in there. Mm-hmm. Um, not a guarantee, of course, but that's just what it's done. But it's typically only positive 70 to 74% of the time. And so what you do the other t- period of time when it is negative makes all of the difference. And where there will be a, money out. And where there will be a curveball, Chad, is that interest rates for the last 15 years have been really low. And now right. they'd be more normal. So the person sitting at home may be thinking, this is what's worked in the recent past. But you're right. Something else will work in the recent fe- or in the near future. Because of capitalism, yeah. I believe. And that's true. And the, and this is nothing new that I've been preaching. I'm with you on radio since 1999. So you and I have been through three significant longer-term corrections together, and it's worked every time. Um, so ways to mitigate the sequence of return risk is obviously diversification. We talked about that earlier in the show when most people are just so overweighted in large-cap growth now. Having that withdrawal strategy, which is, this is my safe money. This is my portfolio. I feed it with dividends and interest. And during positive quarters, once I'm retired, I should be selling some of my winners and replenishing the cash that I've spent. Um, And then there's other things like, you know, should you delay social security or not? If you do, where are you going to live off of your, you know, what, where are you going to get your income during that period of time? And so you really need to model this all out, very specific cash flow modeling that includes how much you're going to pay in taxes every year, which accounts are you going to draw from first? Um, and it's, it's a really important, it's, this is, you know, in terms of where this lies, this, this kind of sequence of return risk really kind of is covered by the, of the seven steps that we're going to talk about, risk tolerance, 
safe money and then Monte Carlo simulation, which can test your portfolio in terms of how well are you set up for that order return risk. So the big event's Thursday evening, 6.30 to 8.30, Seven Steps Retirement Readiness. Hitting some of the other topics that you're going to be talking about and that we didn't get time to go into detail today include taxes, tax efficiency, income, long-term care. Um, you know, my spouse's best friend, her mother, is in hospice now. So she's moved from the long-term care to she's not eating. And it was very, very expensive. And as of like two or three months ago, she's like, I don't know how much longer I can afford this. Um, and you actually helped her out by finding... Um, an elder law attorney to help her with the cost of long-term care. Um, so she says, thank you on that. But there's a lot going on in some of these um, seven steps, so to speak, Chad. Yeah. I spent an early part of my career helping people when you have one spouse going to a nursing home, the other one's, how am I going to afford to pay for this and not be in poverty? Uh, and so learned Medicaid, Medi-Cal and, and Medicaid planning tactics because it's a, it's a, Big problem. So yeah, you have to have that plan B. If if you start to run out of money, you're going to sell your house. You're going to borrow from your kids. You you know going to go on Medi-Cal. What is what are those options and what does that look like in terms of projection and a scenario in your financial plan? Remember, my dumbest plan B ever was uh, if you don't if you didn't save enough for retirement, go into a bank, thirty, shoot a bullet in the air, and go to prison for life because you get a gem and food for the rest of your life and shelter. <laughs> I was young, Chad. I was young. <laughs> Yeah, and then you watch some of the jail shows on Netflix. You're like, never mind. I think I'll, I think oh, I'll yeah. pass on that one. <laughs> it's, the HBO, it's the HBO one that gets you. Anyway, it's Chad Burton. Meet him Thursday evening, 6.30 to 8.30, seven steps for retirement readiness at the Stanford Park Hotel in Menlo Park, California. Learn more about this event at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.